Well, let's join in prayer. Gracious God, we give you thanks that as we come to the scriptures, you always speak to us. And as we come to a parable that Jesus taught us and told, that it has so many far-reaching implications for us that it will stop us to cause us to stop and to think and to pause and to reflect. May uh, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable and may your word go forth and complete the task you've sent it to do among us this morning. We give you thanks and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, again this morning we open up Matthew 18. And as we do, I hope you can note the way in which our text is tied to all that has gone before it in the chapter. We started out in verse 1 with the less than innocent question from the disciples as to who was the greatest. Wanting to know from Jesus who it was who had the position of priority amongst them. And in return, Jesus has uh, brought to them an object lesson about humility, about what it really means to be part of his kingdom, about greatness meaning serving your brothers who are part of that kingdom, about how this all led to a discussion about the kind of attitude that's going to be required by his disciples if ever we're going to resolve conflict among us. And on that, uh, Jesus has just begun to say to his disciples in verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. And this has prompted this question from Peter as he thought about that, Lord, how many times ought I forgive How many times should I do that? It's interesting that the question reveals that Peter perhaps may have been having trouble with his fellow disciples. Maybe it was that the disciples resented that Peter seemed to have been appointed or have appointed himself as the head spokesman for the twelve or that Peter seemed to get certain privileges from Jesus from time to time. And so maybe the the whole discussion concerning greatness was one that Peter brought upon himself, along with James and John, who had their eyes and hearts set on being next to Jesus, beside Jesus on thrones. Maybe it was that there had been some murmuring against Peter and he'd been offended by this and so was asking Jesus what he did. So Jesus responded to his question with a quick answer and then a parable, which the parable itself is not hard to understand, one that's only found in Matthew's Gospel and not any other. And then after that comes the conclusion that drew uh, to Jesus drew to make his answer to Peter even more plain. Let's consider these things together. 
First, let's note what was implied in Peter's question. What was implied in Peter's question? Last week, we looked at verses 15 to 20 and saw there how the Lord Jesus spoke about handling the tensions and the conflicts and the personal differences that will occur between brethren in his kingdom. And it's this that causes Peter's question to pop into his mind and out of his mouth. Having heard what Jesus has had to say and the direction in which he's been taken with all that, Peter may well have been thinking to himself, well, this is hard stuff. He's asking me to forgive those who have wronged me and he's asking me to take an initiative, the initiative, in looking out for their best interests even when they have wronged me. And so he says to Jesus, Lord, how many times do I have to do this? Would I have to do this up to, for instance, seven times? Now what's implied in seven times? It's not that Peter thinks this is the minimum, but this is the maximum. This is the limit. In his mind, seven times is an excessive amount, a generous amount, a whole bucket full of grace, a large bucket that is, but not a fountain. And by saying this, Peter may well have thought that Jesus was going to be impressed with his generosity and commend him for being such a gracious soul as to be willing to forgive someone up to seven times. And so when seven times comes out of his mouth and into the ears of his master, maybe Peter is expecting the pat on the back response, that word of affirmation from Jesus like before, blessed are you Simon, son of John, moment like when back at Caesarea Philippi, Jesus had commended him for his confession of faith. But there's no pat, there's no commendation, there's no well done, there's no spot on, Peter. Instead, Peter is gently rebuked. No, Peter, 77 times, or as some versions put it, what you're probably familiar with, 70 times 7, that is to say, not even 490 times. And that's the limit. But meaning here, don't even count. When someone comes to you and asks forgiveness, you be ready and willing to extend it. Not just seven times, not even seven times a day. But there is no limit. There is no limit whatsoever, hence the infinity sign. There is no limit at all on how many times you have to forgive. See, here Jesus, here we note how Jesus is undercutting Peter's counting approach to mercy that he had learned from the Pharisees and the culture of the day. Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, your heart needs to be transformed by your realisation of how much God has forgiven you. And if you think, Peter, for a minute, how much, is God, how much God has forgiven you, then you'll realise 
why there is no limit. And then while Peter's ears were stunned by this fact that he probably could not comprehend, and while his mouth is still open in surprise, and he was ready to hear more, Jesus told them this parable to illustrate that truth. And so secondly, let's note what was implied by Jesus' parable. Now Peter knows from what he's heard already that this is hard stuff that Jesus is asking. That's why he asked the question, Lord, how many times do I have to do this? Because it hurts. It hurts to give forgiveness. And so the parable seeks to and does get to the bottom of all that, unravelling as it does through this well-known scenario, that there's an attitude of heart that's required in extending unlimited forgiveness. And that attitude is only obtained by first receiving unlimited forgiveness. The parable gets to the heart of what enables us to forgive and it negatively shows us what lurks behind an unforgiving attitude. Only a full realisation of the mercy that has been extended to us by God in Jesus can enable us to forgive without limit those who hurt us. Now to the parable itself. You know the story. A king has a servant and this servant isn't like a domestic housekeeper or comes in and cleans. This servant is someone like a, a satrap in the time of Daniel, an administrator. This is someone who has a management responsibility in the king's kingdom. He's an important official. Perhaps this person had access to a great amount of wealth in the kingdom, responsible for administration of that wealth. And for whatever reason, he hasn't done it well, he's in great debt to the king. Not only is he broke, he is in the language of verse 24, 10,000 talents in debt to his king. Now that's kind of hard to roughly translate into modern language, but I'll give you a rough estimate. Imagine being $10 million in debt to someone. $10 million. Bear this in mind, the average labourer in these times, working his entire life and not spending of any of what he made, would have earned maybe a total of 10 talents for his lifetime. And here is Jesus talking about someone who owes 10,000 talents. Now even if we assume that this servant of the king made a 100 times what an average day labour would have made, he would then have only made a thousand talents in his lifetime. He could never, ever, ever have hoped to repay this debt. And so in the parable, Jesus sets the debt at that depth to illustrate there is no possibility at all of repayment which is why the king takes the grave step of saying to his servant, okay, because of this debt that you and your wife and your children and 
and everything that you possess are going to be sold into slavery as payment for the injustice that you have done to me because you owe me that amount of money. But see what happens. You know what happens. As the servant prostrates himself and before this master to whom he owes so much and begs for mercy, that master who's very generous, quite out of the blue, grants that mercy and wipes clean that debt. And yet though you would expect the servant to weep with joy and stand there amazed at the pardon just granted to him, one that he didn't deserve, one that he didn't earn, one that released him from death to life, so to speak, this forgiven servant does what? He goes immediately out and he finds one of his own debtors. Someone who owes him money. The man owes him a hundred denarii. Now that was a lot of money for a day labourer. Something you could earn in about two or three years of very diligent work and careful saving. And yet despite the enormous difference between the amount he's just been forgiven by his master and the amount he is owed by his fellow servant, He shows him no mercy whatsoever. In fact, he seeks to choke him and despite repeated cries for mercy, remained deaf to those cries and had him thrown into prison whereby this way the debtor could never have earned the money to repay the debt anyway. You can't earn money in prison. And when the master, the king, heard of this, he's naturally incensed, furiously angry, completely and righteously wrathful. The amount owed to this man whom he now jailed had been one six hundred thousandth that the servant had owed the king. One six hundred thousandth about $20. $20. In other words, this man had been forgiven so, so much, $10 million, but refused to give a debt for 20 And so Jesus puts this parable before his disciples and therefore before us, just to help see the comparison that those sins and offences which we have received from our brothers and sisters cannot even begin to be compared to those we've committed against God. That's Jesus' point. Peter, how often ought we forgive? Peter, let me remind you of something. How much are you in debt to God? How much do you owe him? How much do you deserve at the hand of God's justice? How much has he wiped clean for you? So Peter, in the light of that, and in the light of the mercy that you've received from a loving, merciful father, how then will you love others? Will you love them in a stingy kind of way or will you love them with a lavish, extravagant kind of way? The way the father has loved you. Jesus is saying, Peter, I don't care how deep the wound is. 
The wound that you have received from others cannot compare to the sin that you have committed against the Father, which he has freely forgiven. Therefore, having been freely forgiven, you make a practice of freely forgiving. And Jesus is saying by that to all of us, I'm not saying forgiveness is easy, but I am saying this, If you remember how much you owed and how much God forgave your debt, you will find in that the resources to be able to bear the cost of an offence against you because all real forgiveness costs and it costs the one who gives it. Before we finish today, I want you to think about the hurts you bring to this place this morning. The wounds, the fractured family relationships, the business deals gone astray, people who disappointed you and let you down or hurt you. And you can think to yourself, yes, it would cost me to forgive in that circumstance. And you can hear Jesus' words saying, think how much you owed the Father. Can you forgive in that light? This parable does two things for us at the same time. It's a reminder of our motive as believers for forgiving, but it's a warning against an unmerciful, unforgiving spirit. And then third, let's see what's implied by Jesus' conclusion. One last thing Jesus touches on. If you look at verse 35, you'll see a warning that Jesus concludes with. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This warning is similar to other warnings that Jesus gives in the Gospels in that it reaches beyond the surface of our actions to reach that which lies beneath them, the motives and the intentions. And he teaches us here that a heart of mercy is an essential mark of saving grace. A merciful heart is the first sign of a person who has realised God's mercy given to them. Now understand well what Jesus is saying here. His point is not that we earn God's forgiveness by forgiving others. Rather his point is this, when you have received the grace of God and you have been forgiven of your sins, this fact of being justified by grace cannot help but transform your heart to be merciful to others who have offended you. For as the Father forgave you your great offences, in in that you are then enabled to forgive others' smaller offences. And so Jesus is saying by this, the first sign you see in a heart transformed by God's forgiveness is that heart becomes forgiving. A person sees the greatness of his sin and the greatness of his Saviour and is led to be generous and liberal in the forgiveness extended to others. But conversely, Jesus warns that those who do not display a forgiving heart are like this servant. They don't realise the cost that's been borne by their king for their forgiveness. 
prompted by gratitude, the forgiven sinner must always yearn to forgive those who have sinned against them and must do all in their power to bring about a complete reconciliation. You can imagine the tragedy of it all when Peter recalls the night after the Lord's trial. If God has forgiven you so much, Peter, you also ought to show forgiveness towards your brothers. The context of this dialogue, again, is the setting of brothers and sisters in Christ, being part of the family of God, how we relate to one another as part of the family of God. Jesus is not saying that we ought, therefore, never punish crime in the land. He's not saying that our response against infractions against the law ought to be overlooked and people pardoned left, right and centre. Jesus is talking about relationships between us in the context of family life. There are principles, of course, that apply to every arena of life, but he's especially talking in this context about us in the congregation of God, in the body of Christ, in the family, brothers and sisters. Well, how to conclude... Having come this far, my hope is that the text has landed in your hearts and you can apply this to yourself. The amount you owe to God for your sins, the weight of that debt is not something I can feel for you. I know the size and the weight of my own debt of sin. And I'm not too proud to tell you that it's grace. And yet God's mercy to me and to you has been greater. We'll sing later in a moment, marvellous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. And I'll be singing it from the point of view who confesses that that is true for me. And I hope That's the case for you. It's that realisation of just how much God has forgiven you and me that enables us to give out forgiveness to others. Now you know the scenario. Sometimes someone comes to you and says, I'm sorry I've done such and such to you. And in those circumstances, most of us might be quick to say, oh, don't worry about it. Think nothing of it. But there are other times when we are deeply wounded by what someone has done. So wounded that when they do come and ask for forgiveness... It just doesn't come. We're not ready to extend it. It doesn't roll off our lips. Or if it does, it might off our lips but not in our hearts. In those times and in those circumstances, what enables us to forgive? It's the wonder of the gospel. It's the mercy that Jesus tells about in this parable. 
It's the fact that we may go back to the fountain of mercy, to the well, if you like, and draw from that deep well the resources we need to continue to be the one who shows mercy. For it's not that God suddenly stops being merciful to us. And even if he did, there would still be eternal resources to draw from. But the fact is that he continues to show us mercy, forgiving our sins as often as we confess them before him, enabling our hearts to forgive others. As Paul says in Ephesians 4, as God in Christ forgave you. But that's not always easy. The wounds we bear from each other and the wounds, well, they don't always quickly heal. And while forgiveness might be extended to the one who hurt us, maybe not everything is restored. Maybe it's the pain of the wound means that the relationship is affected forever. Maybe a friendship is broken by it. Of course, for ourselves, we crave that forgiveness when we have done wrong. But when we are the offended, when we are the deeply wounded, how quick are you and I in our willingness to hand out the same kind of mercy that you want for yourselves? This may be a tremendous challenge for you. You may be aware that you're facing obstacles in this area of forgiving It might be that painful family breach that you're wrestling with, husband, wife, brother, sister, parent, child. It might be a breach with your neighbours or at work. Maybe even in this room. Maybe with someone here. Let me challenge you in the light of all that Jesus has said to be the one who will be prepared and willing to forgive when someone comes to you and even more to be the one who says, forgive me to another. Be the one who can forgive and pray that this generous heart of mercy will be seen in you because of the gospel and what Christ has forgiven you for. Remembering the debt you owe more than $10 million, that he paid in full. May God bless you in this and grant you his grace, marvellous grace of our loving Lord. Let's pray. We bring thanks to you, Heavenly Father, that you did send your Son to pay in full our debt We've been released from eternal death. Overwhelming, amazing mercy that you've given to us, releasing us from what we deserve and giving to us what we don't deserve. We could so well be singing amazing grace, how sweet the sound. But again, We want to thank you, not just for your grace, but for your mercy. That you freely cancel our debt. And in cancelling that debt, you call us to cancel the debt of others. 
to those that have offended us. Not just seven times, not just 77 times, not just 70 times seven. But to keep doing that because that's what you do for us. What a great God you are. We are thankful, ever thankful for the mercy that's come to us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Washing us and forgiving us. So grant us that heart that's overwhelmed by grace. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.